This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. The Ontario budget released yesterday. Joining us now, Peter Graff, professor of political science, McMaster University. He is with us now. Hello, Peter. How are you today? Great, thanks. Thank you for joining us. We greatly appreciate this. I think the first thing that uh, uh, I found interesting in all of this, and I I, I did hear uh, rumblings that this was a rumor and going to happen, but we just had uh, NDP leader Andrea Horvath on the show earlier on in the week talking about her bright new shiny pharma plan. And then, of course, uh, through uh, the political weeds, we hear that she got wind that the uh, Win Liberals were going to steal this idea from her, and that's why she launched it as early as she did. What are your thoughts? Is is Win stealing the NDP plan here? Well, uh, could be. Uh, I mean, certainly it's a plan that's likely to be popular in the sense that there's a lot of people who face uh, these drug costs, sometimes unpredictably, to have some kind of public uh, program, probably a lot of people could see as useful. Um, so I think what we see is the NDP and the Liberals on this, but also on a number of other issues, trying to position themselves for the next uh, election, because I think they know the next election is going to be them fighting out about who's a person who can beat uh, Big Bad Patrick Brown. And uh, I think it's on programs like this that we uh, see them jockeying to see who's going to be the first to announce it. I, mean, I think there have been other occasions where uh, you know the Liberals have been about to announce something, and the day before uh, we see... Andrea Horvath come out and announce the NDP's demands on it uh, so that she can somehow make the claim that it was her pressure that made it happen. And I think we'll see this, you know, probably on a number of other issues between now and the election. But, I mean, it's a popular, uh, it's a popular issue, and I, I could see why Andrea Horvath wanted to get in front of it. I think in this case, compared to some others, she can make some claim to have been ahead of what the, the Liberal government was going to do, you know, particularly, too, since they're very different scope. I mean, Andrea Horvath was looking at a program to cover a series of drugs across a whole population, whereas uh, this budget instead puts forward a program to cover uh, a wider range of drugs for uh, people under 25. Uh, how is that going to appeal to the electorate, uh, to the electorate considering that th- there seems to be a cutoff of, of age in one and not the other? Well, I mean, I think to have a more limited program uh, certainly manages to keep the cost on it, uh, probably makes it less objectionable to the insurance industry in this province, uh, but nevertheless signals that here's a government that wants to try out new things. So to the extent that the liberal uh, liberals rely on votes uh, of middle-class people who maybe don't actually need this program, but like the idea of being associated with a forward-looking, uh, you know, redistributive government, uh, then it's a, it's a winner. It doesn't cost that much and you'll get their votes. Uh, to the extent that uh, you want to get the votes of people who are actually affected by uh, not being able to afford uh, drugs either because they have expensive uh, uh, conditions to manage or because things come out of nowhere and you're living close to the line, uh, in that case it's, it's a program that's not going to appeal to you. So in some ways the NDP probably has better uh, targeted uh, their group and the Liberals have better targeted their group in terms of who's most likely to respond to, to these different kinds of ways of doing pharmacare. So will this election be a fight for the left? Uh, I think it's going to be uh, one of these two-stage elections like we've had recently in Ontario and even federally, where you have the first couple of weeks being about which is a party that's going to run against the Conservatives. Is it going to be the NDP or the Liberals? Uh, you know, in the last federal election, it was Trudeau beating Mulcair for that uh, role. The one before it was Leighton beating Inactive. Uh, so I think that's what we're going to see in the campaign is the, the two of them fight. But then it's going to be a contest about which Ontario, whether it's going to be the Ontario of Patrick Brown, and presumably he'll have defined what that means a bit more in the next year, uh, against uh, some sort of vision of, uh, yeah, more sort of uh, left or social democratic vision uh, of Ontario. 
Many have said uh, that, you know, uh, Patrick Brown, obviously uh, quiet uh, on lots of what his plans are moving into the next election. Uh, is he smart to be talking a lot now about what he wants or should he let the current government sort of run its course before and then wait closer to the election in order to uh, open his goodie bag? Well, I mean, I think his strategy is the latter, is to really let the government fall on its own sword before he really has to put much out there. Uh, I mean, we saw even in this LRT debate this past week in, in Hamilton, uh, Chad Collins came on, and I think speaking to Bill Kelly yesterday, was saying uh, uh, he was waiting for a signal from Patrick Brown, the people who wanted to vote against the LRT, and it never came. So, I mean, it's clear that he really doesn't want to put himself out in any sort of situation where it might be controversial. Although, uh, that being said, I have asked Patrick, Bra- Patrick Brown on this show what his thoughts were on Hamilton L- LRT, and he said he wouldn't stop any plan that had been started by the previous government and that it was up to the city to decide. Yeah, but, why, uh, why he hasn't reiterated that, I don't know. Well, and also, I mean, it runs a bit contrary to, I think, what his uh, local Conservative Party members wanted, at least on Hamilton Mountain. So yeah. I think in some ways he, he's trying to keep his, uh, his powder dry. And in, in some ways, I mean, if he has his pressure between what he thinks, what the base of his party wants, uh, and what he thinks can sell with the Ontario electorate. I mean, I, I see, you know, in my Facebook ads, the AXA carbon tax people are very unhappy with Patrick Brown, so that's his base that's unhappy with him taking a position which he thinks he needs to do to get elected. So if he's facing that kind of tension, I can see why he wants to put it off as close as possible to the election. But, I mean, that does have the dual danger of, A, the uh, Liberals and the NDP being able to define him if he's not going to define himself, and secondly, people may, may begin to say, well, what does he really stand for if he's refusing to take the hard decisions now uh, and if he's putting it off until it's too late for people to really think about it and maybe criticize what he's doing? So, I mean, uh, it's a strategy which I think maybe makes sense in terms of uh, avoiding the problem that uh, John Tory had when he was a conservative leader where he wanted to go to the center, but the party wanted to keep him to the right. Uh, but it also does make it harder when it comes to election time. He may get framed in a way that Tim Hudak did in the past election, and find it very hard to get out of that box. Um, Many have said similar with Kathleen Wynne in the sense that uh, the Liberals have a tendency to campaign to the left and then govern to the right. Uh, What sort of chance do you think the NDP have in this next election? Uh, I think if Kathleen Wynne continues to be unpopular, uh, they see themselves having a real shot in federating uh, the sort of left Liberal vote with the NDP, much like Leighton did in the federal election of 2011. But whether that actually gives them enough seats to win is another question. One could see them being quite successful in downtown Toronto and adding that to the seats they have in the north. They might pick up a couple more in the north and in the southwest of the province. But uh, unless you're able to win seats in the suburbs of Toronto, you're not going to form a government. And and it's in that situation then where uh, it's maybe more foreseeable to see the NDP come ahead of the Liberals, but in the process electing a Patrick Brown government. Uh, First balance budget in a decade. How is that resonating? Uh, I don't know if it's resonating a whole lot. I think, in a way, uh, when a budget gets close enough to being balanced and a government says we're going to do it, and every year they make slow progress towards it, it ceases being you know, much of an obvious uh, political issue for people, uh, particularly if you know, the way to get there it leaves you open to attack. So whether it's the NDP pointing out that, well, the reason you're able to bu- uh, balance it this year is because you're still selling off Hydro One, which isn't terribly popular with the public, uh, or the you know, the conservatives, and you point out, well, there's some funny accounting going on here. There's a lot of investment that's being put down on a different set of books in terms of you saying this is like a big investment in capital infrastructure, and so our debt's going up even as uh, as our budget is balanced. And, and so that, too, I think makes it harder 
to really cash in on that idea of a balanced budget. I mean, the only thing that's useful really about that for the Liberals is now they can say, well, since we've balanced it, we, we can be justified in investing in new things, whether it's in putting a bit more money into the health care system, doing this pharmacare plan, or opening up a few more subsidized child care spaces. So how will this budget, uh, how will the province respond to this budget? Uh, what do you, or, or do you think people are even paying attention to this? Uh, I mean, I think it's a pretty unobjectionable budget. Uh, budget. Uh, I suspect it will get rel- relatively good press. I mean, I think the real question around it is, you know, Ontarians probably appreciate uh, some sort of program to help with uh, health care costs. Uh, also rolled into this is uh, the earlier announced uh, rebates around hydro. Uh, they, I think, want to see the health care system invested in, in at an appropriate level. They probably appreciate that. Uh, but at the same time, they don't want to pay higher taxes. And so this, this budget, in a way, delivers... Uh, that kind of false promise that you can have more of the public sector without actually having to increase the taxes you pay. And for that, I think it will be popular. I'm not sure if that will transfer into people saying, well, actually, this government's not so bad. It may be more to say, well, we can we can wait out another year before we replace them. It's not a bad budget. Does Ontario have the money to pay for this? Uh, at the moment, no, in terms of the public sector. In the long run, I mean, they, there's a big spending this year because there's an important increase in transfers from the federal government for infrastructure. So some of that money, uh, you know, Trudeau promised for, for public housing and for uh, transit is flowing through. Uh, also, corporate uh, tax uh, income is up. There's been a sort of unexpected surge in that. Uh, it's not expected to, to last. And so there's a big spending this year, but even if you look at the budget, the idea is that you, they turn the taps on for one year and then they crank them off pretty tight again in another couple of years. And so... Uh, yeah, I don't think in the current budgetary situation there's a capacity uh, to go much further. Uh, I mean, I think the question is taxes. We're paying taxes at a much lower rate than we were 20 years ago. I and mean, there's probably about $19 billion less that comes in each year than if we uh, stayed with the old tax rates. Uh, you know, if you take in less money, you have less government. If you appreciate the role of government in solving collective action problems, then maybe, you know, they have to pay more taxes. Anything in here for business, especially small and medium business? Uh, not a great deal. Uh, I mean, there's no move on the corporate tax rate. Um, there's a bit of work around uh, training, which obviously helps uh, the private sector and uh, small businesses. Uh, continued em- uh, in investments in things like transportation and education obviously make a difference to the infrastructure that they're working with, but there's not a lot else beyond that that's really uh, uh, pushing on the small business front. I can't let you go, Peter, without asking you about local issue, that being LRT. What are your thoughts on what's uh, transpired in council uh, or at council over the last uh, week or so? What are your thoughts on all of this? Well, it seemed to me that the councillors uh, were caught between two kind of narrow-minded uh, ideas. <laughs> on the one hand, they didn't want to approve the project because they assume that when it's built, there's going to be some disruption. They don't want it to bear the brunt of the criticism for that or people uh, expecting that. But I think they also knew they'd get hammered if they gave up a billion-dollar investment in their community. And so the question was, who are going to be the suckers who are going to vote for it? And I think they took a week uh, between the two votes to work out who that was going to be. You know, and in the process, uh, I think uh, the councillors on the mountain uh, were able to get rid of what they thought was going to be a vote loser for them, which was you know better transit in terms of the A line up to the airport, uh, in return for forcing that money down uh, to Eastgate was obviously opposed to uh, Chad Collins's view. So in some ways, it was the mountain beating Chad Collins last week. Uh, you know, they got enough of a change that they were willing to say, yes, we'll support this. How ironic is it that in the end, we're with the same plan we started with? 
Yeah, I'd say, well, maybe it's irony or maybe it's the city council that needs to do a better job of uh, of really following the planning that they do and not wasting time. I mean, they said this was a painful decision for them to make, but it was really a very basic decision about an environmental assessment that they decided to bring and make into a, a giant referendum on the LRT. So in some ways, they have themselves to blame for all this stalling and starting and uh, the pressure that SCET puts around it, rather than saying, well, we made a decision and a good reflective decision. We've got to monitor it. Uh, but we don't need to re-debate the whole project uh, every time a minor decision comes up that we have to approve. Uh, still is one major decision that's a while down the road. Uh, do you think we're going to go through the same thing then as we are now, or did now? I think we may well. I mean, the councillors seem to be saying they learned their lesson this time, but in a year's time they may have forgotten the pain that was involved in uh, opening up things that don't need to be... I mean, there are important decisions to be made when they come up to that agreement about how it's operated and what the costs are related to it. Um, you know, we'll be well served if they ask the tough questions. We won't be well served if it becomes another grandstand. Uh, and again, if they forget, all they have to do is do, uh, look down towards the stadium, really. Uh, Peter Grabis with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Peter, thank you very much for the time. Have a great weekend. And you too. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. This is interesting. Uh, well, it's not really that interesting. But it's, uh, it's certainly uh, on a Friday something that might be kind of funny to talk about. Uh, this is a uh, copy. I'm going to read you uh, uh, a column which appeared in the Kitchener-Waterloo record and then was uh, reprinted in the uh, Hamilton uh, Spectator. Louisa, uh, Louisa D'Amato is uh, the author of this, the reporter that uh, first uh, published this for the... Uh, for the Kitchener-Waterloo record. Hamilton politician has some nerve calling any other place unattractive. Uh, and she goes on to say, what unbelievable gall. Hamilton City Councilor Donna Scully called Kitchener-Waterloo's light rail system, quote, ugly and not attractive on Wednesday, according to news reports. She said this at a meeting of Hamilton Council, which gave the thun- thumbs up 10 to 5 for an environmental assessment of its own highly controversial proposal for light rail transit. Skelly doesn't support the proposal and thought it would be a good idea to argue against it by trashing other places that are building light rail. Two journalists, each working for separate news organizations, tweeted, that during the meeting she had critical words for us. Uh, Mountain Councillor Donna Skelly says a tour of Kitchener LRT revealed it's ugly and it's not attractive, tweeted Kevin Werner of Hamilton Community News. Uh, and Samantha Craig of CBC sent out a tweet message saying uh, Donna Skelly says she went on a tour of the KW LRT line and it's unattractive, some booze from the audience. Strange, isn't it? I mean, have you seen Hamilton Harbor from the Queen Elizabeth Way as you drive to Niagara? With all its tall smokestacks, belching flames and gas, it looks like an industrial wasteland. It makes me think of the scene in think of a scene in the Lord of the Rings movie. As for the downtown area, I hear it's better than it has been some years ago, but when I visited, I saw people so angry and sketchy and surroundings so decayed, it was hard to believe I was in Canada. By comparison, our own characters in downtown Kitchener, the fellow on the street corner who calls us to come to Jesus, the panhandlers, the people who randomly shout swear words as they walk by, are tea-tipping, satin-robe-wearing downtown abbey dwellers. It's beyond ludicrous for anyone from Steeltown to insult any other place's appearance. What was Skelly thinking? On Thursday, I emailed her, called her twice, and also got her assistant to text us. I explained I wanted to ask her about the comments. Uh, She hadn't responded by my deadline later that day. Waterloo Region Councillor Tom Galloway, who we'll have on later, said that... uh, 
uh, he knew that some of the Hamilton counselors who opposed their own uh, LRT had come up here. I asked if staff had arranged, had been arranged. Uh, no one knew that they came nor toured them or answered any questions. But Galloway has a question for Skelly. I would question what she expected it to look like. It's an LRT system after all, and it's under construction with many elements unfinished. When it's done the, with public art, landscaping, and other final touches, it will look good, he said. And you can see that already. This is all doubly galling because, as we know, Hamilton's light rail project is being handed to the city on a silver platter. Like a parent with a favorite child, Ontario's Liberal government is offering to build Hamilton's billion-dollar light rail system for free. No municipal taxes will be spent on it. By contrast, forward-thinking Waterloo Region wanted light rail and is using its local taxes to share the cost with federal and provincial governments. We've got both insult and injury going on here, she says. The unequal treatment from the province is an injury to Waterloo. Skelly's comments are an insult. But as they say, living well is the best revenge. After all, where would you rather make your home? All right, let's bring in Councillor Skelly, City Councillor for Ward 7, and is on the line with us now. Hello, Donna. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you this afternoon? What are you doing, Donna, getting Kitchener-Waterloo all pissed off at us? Well, you know, never, ever let the facts get in the way of a good story. Um, now, what, is, now, what does that mean? Yeah, really. Uh, as, an, as an old seasoned journalist, uh, first of all, the, the truth is the comment was about overhead wires. And I do, I've sent you some pictures. I hope you had an yeah, opportunity I gotta look at to them. look yep. at them. Yep. The systems are very different. I didn't say anything about the cities. And this is about overhead wires and and. Uh, a tour of Kitchener-Waterloo. It's a very, very, very different LRT plan. Never criticized the plan. Didn't criticize anything about the cities. I do have an issue with overhead wires. Their system actually does run um, quite a bit of the time and length of, of track is on older uh, uh, CN or CP corridors. So you're seeing the track behind buildings. It's, it's a very, very, very different system. The interesting thing is when it does enter the downtown core, You'll see it um, often uh, split, and you'll have just one lane on one road, and then it coming back on another. So it's an entirely different system than we are in terms of the the route than we have here today so, in our own city. With your comparison, better, worse? What do you mean by? We understand it's different, but is that good? Well, they're they're it's linking municipalities, right. and they have it's not through their downtown right. core. What we are seeing is, and I'm, I'm, I sent you some pictures to show you what that would look like in, for example, our International Village. And if you have an opportunity, go through the International Village in Hamilton. And, and it wasn't, a, I took it for granted for so long because I do drive through it. I lived in the East End for, a while, for many years. And you don't realize how many trees, beautiful mature trees. We have an old iron gate. We have the old iron um, uh, lampposts, uh, black iron lampposts, and they'll all be gone. And the narrow sidewalks will be replaced from the wider sidewalks we have now, and we'll have all these overhead wires. So I think, although we've moved forward, we've accepted this, we're going to be building our, our LRT, we now have to look at what it is actually going to look like in some of our more historic areas. Now, the comparison is, and it's just, take a look, and mean, and go to Kitchener and take a look at the overhead wires and, and imagine those in the International Village. And I think people will have... Uh, the, a rude awakening as to what this is actually going to look like because the, pro, the, the plans that have been presented are often absent of these wires and of these poles that, yeah, that, that is are true. placed yeah. every, 30, every 30 meters. That's all. 
I mean, as I said, you can you can read into it what you want. And, and, and this nonsense about an attack on the city, it wasn't an attack on the city, but it makes for a great headline. This is talking about the reality of what overhead wires will look like on our very different route, which is uh, much narrower. So what, 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 exactly, what exactly did you say at council? I mean, they're just quoting, uh, you know, uh, well, they're, they're quoting the tweet and the fact that you said, quote, it was ugly and not attractive. The wires are ugly and not attractive. So you, and that's it. you pointed right out that it was the wires that were, were unattractive about this, not the LRT. Absolutely. And in fact, I even mentioned that earlier that day, uh, just before council, Councillor Pearson and I had spoken about an alternative to wires, which are, there's a pilot project right now. Actually, there's an awful lot of research um, and work being done to look at alternatives to wires. There are um, uh, battery-operated trains that I think it's Detroit that's looking at. And so you eliminate completely the overhead wire, and it's a far more aesthetically pleasing and that's one of the things, I know that there's a real rush now that we have this billion dollars. There's a false deadline, and I think a large part of it is due to the fact that there's a provincial election coming up. But the Liberals have promised this money, and they're not going to pull it. And the Conservatives have said they're backing away if this is what the city wants to do. So that money is our money. This uh, rush to build it, regardless of what is just, you know, around the corner. In let, me ask you the, let me ask you this, Donna. Uh, many are questioning that you didn't get an official tour. Did you get an official tour, or did you just kind of drive up and take a peek at it? Uh, there were about five of us in the car. No, we drove it. We didn't get an official tour. I just drove to see what we could, we could see. And I went there last year, and I've also gone to Viva, and I've gone to Toronto, um, and I've been to Buffalo. So, no, it wasn't an official tour. And it's not, you know, I'm talking about the the lines and you can yeah. call it what you want and you can the overhead wires yeah they are they exist they're they're too so you thought the reply and the, you, you reply you you think that this uh that this column is not warranted and petty journalism then i'm not i don't want to put words in your mouth but that's you that's how you're i wouldn't say it's petty journal, journalism i'd say you know if that's what this person wants to say i wouldn't have been that let honest. me ask you i that, don't like the wires I, and let, i and i don't back down to saying i think that the overhead wires are what we should be looking at here i don't think they should we should have them here our system is very different i stated in in my my comment let me Wednesday. ask you this donna what would you how would you react if say a counselor from toronto or or such said your stadium is ugly and we don't like its location how would you take that as a counselor well, I'd say the stadium isn't ugly, but I do agree with them. I don't like the location. Yeah, but is it right and, and, for a Toronto councillor to say your stadium's ugly? But I, I, my point is I didn't say that. I said the wires are ugly. We have to go look at them. That's what we're going to be getting. Go and look at People are saying go and take a look. I did take a look, and the wires are ugly. I mean, it doesn't matter where they are, whether they're in... Um, downtown Toronto, or whether they're in Kitchener, or whether they're elsewhere, that's not a system I think we should be doing. I think we should go and look at them. The Kitchener-Waterloo, uh, and we said... So if a Toronto councillor said, you know, I, I, your city project's ugly, whatever it is... But you, I didn't say that, Scott. I said the wires are ugly. Okay. I, think, I actually think that the system is different from ours, and I think that we, we've spoken about this, and I've said this, that their system runs on a lot of uh, existing corridors. That's a better use of 
of a rail line. But what we have is not the same as, as Kitchener, but that wasn't... Then why thing. comment that it's ugly if we don't have the same thing? Because the wi- I said the wires are ugly, yeah. and that's what it is, any, and any, that's what we will be getting. So any, be anything, getting you to say, anything you want to say to the people of Kitchener at this time, or any way you want to address this moving forward? Well, I would say, let's just step back. That's not what it was. But as I said off the top of this interview, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, it makes for a great story, but it's not accurate. I don't like overhead wires, okay. and I brought into the conversation, if right. you may, brought into the conversation... We have an opportunity to look at something that is more advanced. Mm -hmm. We don't have to rush this through, and we can look at something that's far more aesthetically pleasing. Their system... Let me ask you this. Do you think something without wires and with batteries would not be even way more expensive than what we've got? I don't know. We haven't looked at it. We haven't explored it. Well, my guess would be, Donna, is if it was cheaper or the same price, we'd go for the model without the wires. That's just common sense, isn't it? The technology's not there yet. Well, and again, when people are talking about costs, you know, it's great. Yeah, let's have the model without wires. Let's extend it from here to there. Let's go for it. But again, at the end of the day, that costs way more. What's costing more is the rapid component. The rapid component is gone now, Scott. It's not any faster than our buses. We need to look at what has happened. Now we've just talked about costing more. We threw a three-kilometer extension with no money. So the cost, the component of dollars is is... I don't even know where we are in that anymore because we have to find three mil- uh, th- uh, money to cover the extension, the three-kilometer extension. All right, I'll I'm let you saying, go, Donna, here. Okay. Sorry, really quick. You want one more quick point real quick? No. Okay. Donna Skelly has been with us, uh, city councillor for Ward 7. Let's bring in Tom Galloway, councillor in the region of Waterloo, uh, and he is with us now. Hello, Tom. How are you today? Well, good afternoon. I'm, uh, I'm quite good. And what are your thoughts about this article and all the hubbub that it's created? Well, it's a bit of a tempest in a teapot, I suppose. I mean, I was following the blog uh, during the uh, the city of Hamilton meeting. I was a little uh, a little taken aback at the comment. Uh, I was pleased with the reaction of the crowd uh, as it appeared on the blog, uh, and um, you know, my my immediate reaction was, well, MRT systems aren't built to be architectural marvels. Um, the architectural marvels come afterwards uh, with the $1.8 billion worth of investment that we already have on the books from private developers who are going to build along the line. And they'll be building some architectural uh, attractiveness. But uh, the system itself, uh, yeah, you can, uh, you know, it's the eyes of the beholder. Uh, I think it's a little unfair during a construction project to uh, in the middle of a construction project to say it doesn't look very nice. Although if it's the wires you object to, uh, that's not going to change uh, with the uh, the landscaping and the public art and the. the what about what about battery picture. operated trains? Was there any chance to go with battery operated trains and not have the wires? Uh, no, there's no possibility of that at this point in time. I mean, there may be a day in the future. We we investigated all of that, and certainly Metrolinks, who are the the uh, provincial experts, uh, if if that was a possibility, they would be looking at it. But for uh, Mississauga, for the Eglinton line, for for everything they're doing uh, uh, around the province, Ottawa, elsewhere. Um, there's no such system that's available, uh, certainly not in the near term. Uh, you could be waiting years for, for that technology to occur, even if it is going to happen. Have you had much interest from councillors from other areas who are asking you and inquiring about your LRT? 
Yes, yeah, we've had uh, official delegations come into town from Mississauga. They had quite a group, uh, the mayor and uh, quite a few uh, staff took them through the uh, through the entire route and uh, looked at it. Of course, Mayor Eisenberg came down to our recent open house uh, and uh, we toured them through the new vehicle at our uh, at our maintenance facility. Uh, and we've had people from other jurisdictions as well. So uh, uh, the you know they came down. I I think the same day that I, I came in to see MHL with Regional Chair Ken Sealing. I think maybe it was the day that they came in uh, came down to Kitchener. Uh, surprised that? Uh, well, I guess lots of people are just driving through to take a peek of it, uh, a peek at it. But are you surprised that uh, officials will come in, not get an official tour, and then comment on it? Well, they're free to do so. Uh, I mean, there's nobody at the city boundary trying to determine whether or not people are coming to see the system. I, I do find it a little unusual that uh, if they're really interested, uh, that they would make uh, an appointment, a group would come, and uh, staff and or members of council would, would, would meet with their their colleagues and uh, and discuss the pros, the cons, uh, what we've gone through in terms of construction, as well as what we went through in terms of, uh, of ascertaining what technology we're going to use. I mean, we looked at monorail and we looked at aerial car and we looked at rubber tire buses and, and why did we come down with LRT? Um, uh, with the electric overhead uh, system, and we could explain, no doubt, why we chose that technology over another technology. It's always easy to, when you're opposed to something, to pick or choose your reasons um, and, and not necessarily get the full picture. Is your city still divided on LRT? What, what's, the, what's the buzz up there now? Well, uh, certainly, uh, we, we've had three municipal elections uh, since the conception of the ideal of having a rapid transit system and then the last election, LRT. And on each occasion, uh, the pro-LRT candidates uh, have always been uh, elected or re-elected. Hmm. So to me, that's the, the main referendum. And I've gone through three uh, elections I've gone through about eight elections, but uh, the last three being uh, the LRT or rapid transit being the main issue, not the only issue, and uh, and uh, the the pro LRT group has always won. Now there still are naysayers. There always is for these major mm-hmm. uh, infrastructure. I, I think uh, Hamilton knows that all too well with the Red Hill, and uh, but after it gets built. We're already seeing, and we're about a year away from actual fare service. There's just a lot less uh, concern about it now because people now are seeing it. Uh, see, they're starting to understand it. But more importantly, what they're seeing is that the uh, the developers are coming into town, developers we've never seen before, and they are pulling building permits along the line and that's exactly what this thing is intended to do. I often say that this is a planning tool that happens to move people hmm. because the planning tool is the key piece of this, so that we are going to intensify our community, not go into the green fields to the same extent that we have in the past. And I think people are now seeing it because the construction cranes are starting to go up. Uh, every week there's another announcement in, in the media about another 
building, another developer, uh, another business relocating uh, to the community. And I think that's now starting to take its effect, and some of the naysayers are just being a little more quiet now. Tom, we've only got about a minute left. Uh, you guys are ahead of us on this. What advice have do you have for other cities that are considering this? What have you learned? Well, we've learned a lot of things, and uh, I think one of the things we, we learned particularly is you need to engage your community really really early in the process, and particularly the business community along which the route is going to travel, and to get them on board. And we, we spent a lot of time, and we think we did a fairly good job in that. And at the end of the day, um, now that the construction is starting to wind up, although there were certainly many challenges that businesses had, and yes, sales were no doubt down. We had almost no casualties, and uh, people are really looking forward to it. So early, early engagement uh, and uh, lots, of, lots of public input. Our project is a little different. We're funding a third of it. Um, what, are your Ham- thought, what are your thoughts on Hamilton getting 100%? Well, we're envious. Uh, and uh, we're already uh, finishing up our environmental assessment for our Phase 2. Uh, we hope to have our Phase 2 done environmental assessment done uh, by the end of the year. And I think on this occasion, we will be lined up for 100% funding on the next phase. So, good, uh, good for you. Good for you. Tom Galloway has been with us, counselor in the region of Waterloo, uh, talking about LRT being installed up there. Tom, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Okay, thanks, Ed. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. We saw this story, uh, I'm sure you all saw this story, uh, earlier on in the week of the uh, 22-year-old woman in Toronto who uh, somehow climbed up a, a crane, which is like 20 floors above the ground, and then out on, climbing the crane is one thing, but then going out onto a wire which was holding a hook, and somehow, I don't know, uh, they asked the crane workers how they thought she got up. One said fly. Um, But then somehow shimmied down the cable and was actually sitting on the large hook at the bottom uh, of the cable and just sort of hanging on to it with one arm and, you know, uh, kicking her little boots in the air and didn't really look to be in that much distress at all. Uh, Then the firefighters, of course, uh, one brave one spent two hours, uh, a little over two hours, two and a half hours climbing up and then lowering himself down to eventually harness and lower them both down uh, to safety. So what makes somebody do this? Um, Her friends describe her as adventurous. What word would you use to describe her? Uh, let's bring in Theo Sellis, registered family therapist, president of Integrity Works. He is with us now. Hello, Theo. How are you today? I'm doing all right, but I'm just terrified even at thinking of what she did. You know, just even imagine it makes me afraid. I can't even. Last summer's epic battle against squirrels. The hardest thing about it was getting on my roof. <laughs> I remember your well-documented battle with squirrels last year. Here's are you, are you so far so good this season, Theo? With I've been keeping squirrel? a close eye on the watch, and so far I've got one squirrel that thinks it has me under surveillance. I'm a little worried. There's an uneasy truce, but I'm not sure how long it's going to last. Somehow I'm visualizing you as being uh, Bill Murray and Caddyshack at this point. It's very you know? much like that, <laughs> being the groundhog. 
blowing up my own property or the, the mouse hunt, same kind of movie. You know, just blow up your own property yeah. so that the squirrels won't attack. All right, Theo, we've all been young. Uh, I'm sure you've done lots of crazy things that you may not want to talk about on the radio. I'm sure <laughs> I have too. But at the end of the day, uh, my father always taught me before I did anything just to stop and think. I remember him saying, I can't teach you everything. I can't, I can't put myself in every scenario you're ever going to find yourself in. I remember them saying, all we can do is teach you to think. So uh, whenever you're about to do something stupid, just pause, take a breath, and think about it. And does, does this happen here? What makes a person do this? Well, you know, why do people get on roller coasters? Why, why do they... Because that's a safe, controlled thrill. Why do they watch scary movies? But it's the same thing. It's to get that thrill. And I think, um, I think from the sounds of it, there are a lot of people who actually do this, you know. They, they, I think there's this kind of an experience of maybe you never really appreciate the full thrill and wonder of being alive when you sort of taunt death. You know, when you're on that edge, you kind of push yourself as far as you go, and then you feel really, really alive, and uh, there's that wonderful, possibly addictive adrenaline rush that, uh, that you get. But can't I mean, I'm you only uh, speaking hypothetically, of course, because I won't get on a roller coaster, but still. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I would assume that most people who uh, go on roller coasters would never, ever think of doing this sort of thing. I mean, it's a controlled uh, environment. Maybe and when we have this uh, feeling, perhaps it's, it's false, that we're, we're safe, we're relatively safe. But what makes someone do this? I mean, because this is you slip, you die. Yeah, I think that's part of the thrill of it for some people, right? To- kind of push themselves to the edge to see how far they can go. Are they unaware of the consequences? No, I think they're fully aware of the consequences, and that's part of why they do it, is to be able to see, put themselves right to the limit, being able to test themselves, to push themselves beyond what people usually do to be able to get that that thrill. You know, that is that old question, is why would you climb Mount Everest? Well, because it's there. Because, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it, it calls out. I mean, it's that, in a way when we talk about people doing this and we frown on them and all that sort of thing. But at the same time, we kind of talk with, you know, the pioneer spirit and that spirit of adventure is not kind of stuff. Well, you know, there's that element of, especially with some people who I think they really, really have that. And they, they're really looking for the opportunity to kind of test themselves against, um, you know, some difficult odds and see how far they can push themselves. And there's that, there is that reality is that if they don't do this properly, they could really die. And so, Finding that, straddling that line between life and death, it's, I, I gather it's exhilarating. Are they lacking something in their life? <laughs> well, you know, we can, we can look at that and go, you know, maybe they have like a really boring life and maybe they're unhappy. Maybe, you know, we could even say that, you know, Freud said that we all have this kind of latent death wish and maybe they're kind of pushing that. But, um, yeah, maybe they're looking for excitement that they don't have. But at the same time, um, we'd really have to ask them, and it would be, be interesting for you to interview her or interview people who do that kind of stuff. You know, people who do that, sort of jumping off of buildings and all that kind of stuff, what's in it for them? And they'll oftentimes think they'll talk about that rush, you know, that they just find that, uh, that thrill of being able to have that um, extreme sort of adventure. Old people may say they just don't have enough to do. They just, they're so spoiled, they're so entitled, they're sitting around on their devices, they're picking their nose, uh, go get a job, go do something productive. Uh, This is just the spoils of progress. I don't think so, you know. I don't think that the typical person who's just sitting around without a job, picking their nose and being on their cell or their devices are the ones that are doing this. I think oftentimes people who do this 
are actually quite active people. They tend to be pretty involved in their lives. They tend to, um, you know, have a lot of social network, they have other people that they can share this experience with. You know, I, I don't, I don't think this is the person who's kind of like dull and lazy and bored and entitled. I think. No, I don't think that kind of person would sort of exert themselves yeah. to climb up a crane. No, it takes too much energy to do that. Kind yeah. Of stuff. So I, I think this is a generally speaking an active person, and you know, I think there's sort of like, um, you know, maybe there's just the same thing with any drug, right? In this case, the drug is adrenaline, and maybe after a while you just need to have more of it every time in order to get the same experience. You keep on having to push the boundaries to be able to have the same rush. Same like any other drug. Maybe you develop a tolerance to it, and you have to go and have a little bit more. Is the attention part of the rush? Maybe. Uh, she seemed to be pretty active on social media, you know, to be able to get that approval from other people. But, you know, I, I've, I've read about people who do this kind of thing, and you know, it's not necessarily, from what I understand, just sort of attention-seeking because that's pretty extreme, you know, in order to get attention. If you're really oriented around getting attention from people, if that's what it's all about from you, you know, that's kind of an extreme way of doing it. I, I generally think that there are, there's just a group of people who find that kind of, they have this high sense of adventure, a high risk tolerance, and a real desire to kind of straddle that limit and see how far they can push themselves. You know, I've talked to race car drivers, uh, I've been in race cars, I've done ride-alongs, and what they'll tell you is it's not dangerous because it's a controlled environment because I know what's going to happen if it does happen and I'm confident I can get myself out of it. Yeah. At what point would she have looked at the crane and thought, maybe, how would I get down? <laughs> Well, you know, I think that there is, when you when you hear those stories, when I've heard those stories from race car drivers, they say these things despite the terrible things that happen oftentimes in race car, uh, race car events, races. So I think there is a certain amount of necessary self kind of denial or delusion that goes with that kind of thing. I think you have to overemphasize your capabilities and you have to downplay the risk in order for you to be able to do that with any degree of confidence. So would she have given any thought to how she would get down or where this would go beyond the thrill? Usually, people talk about this in terms of like, uh, you know, not everyone of people who do this are um, sort of impulsive. Oftentimes they are very thoughtful, and I've heard people being interviewed talk about how they, you know, they, they really plan this out. They've got like, they need to know how they'll, how they'll sort of have their exit strategy kind of thing. Uh, whether or not she specifically thought of that, or she thought of that and overestimated her capabilities and then found out that she wasn't able to handle it, and, and there she was stuck. I don't know. You'll, you'll have to get her on the program, I think. Yeah, it's, well, she's not talking right now, apparently. Um, is she selfish? You know, people wouldn't say, oh, she's selfish, because look at all the, you know, effort that's been put on, you know, rescuing her and all the resources that are put into play and all that. I, you know what, I think there's a there's an element of me that is glad that people still do this kind of thing. You know, that, that people do take risks, and it's not all about liability, and it's all not all about what if I don't get, you know, what if I can't get down. I, I think it's kind of cool that people still look at a, an extreme mountain designed to go skiing off it kind of thing. And, you know, I, I like that element of sort of independence. Is she selfish? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that's kind of harsh. You, could she... Is she, is she hopefully appreciative of the fireman who put himself out there and rescued her? I hope she really thanked him a lot, and I, I hope if she ends up doing these kind of risky things in the future, she'll be a little bit more planful about how she'll get down and sort of not bite off more than she can chew. But I wouldn't go so far as to, you know, label her as selfish. 
Is, uh, talk about social media and the factor it plays in all of this. Is this about getting that video? Maybe, you know, like, I mean, there is an element. Maybe there are people who do this that we don't hear about um, and um, they've successfully carried off. And maybe uh, maybe there's this um, sort of um, ongoing need to take the extreme selfie to show yourself in different positions. Maybe this is going to invite more people to do these things that maybe they're not really capable of being able to get themselves out of. I mean, maybe that maybe that'll happen. Uh, I th- what I can't get past, Theo, in all of this is her shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know if you've seen the picture, if you noticed, because no. she's sitting there kicking her feet at one time, and she's got like, you know, a little half boots on with the heels. Right. Not exactly, you know, something you might have a hard time walking in, let alone climbing a crane in. Yeah. Um, so it, it asked me like, you know, <laughs> like, is there any thought? Like you were talking about planning or, right. or, or this sort of thing. I, I don't see that here, Theo. Yeah, and I imagine there are a bunch of these kind of thrill-seeking kind of people who who do this kind of death-defying stuff that maybe there's an element of that that they're not too pleased with because it, uh, you know, gets people like us talking about whether or not they're selfish and whether or not they're foolish and they're lacking something in their lives. Maybe there's some sort of psychological deficiency. Uh, you know, maybe there is a peer group uh, that isn't pleased with her because... Uh, she wasn't particularly responsible in terms of maximizing her chances. Maybe that's not the, you know, who who knows? I don't know if there's a a, a section in the department store that says uh, crane climbing department for shoe wear or something like this. But maybe maybe that's an aspect that they're not too happy about. That she kind of kind of made them all look bad by by doing this in a way that isn't all that thoughtful. Oh, uh, and again, and we're, we're we're trying to get her on. But any idea how she would be feeling today? Yeah, obviously I mean, she's sort of lying, she's lying low. Who knows, right? It all it depends. Is she is she remorseful because she got caught? Because there's going to be a fine? Because she might go to get go to, go to jail? Is she you know is she ashamed that she got stuck in the first place? Um, because she should have been able to get herself down. I you know who's to say? I'm not inclined to speculate too much about people that I haven't met that way. If it was your daughter, what would you say to her? <laughs> First of all, she'd never do it if she was my daughter. She'd be tolerably inherently. <laughs> she wouldn't have the genes that was required. She'd still be too, uh, you know, dumbfounded from the uh, squirrel hunt. That's right. She wouldn't get on a roof right. along the train. So I don't, I don't know. If it's, uh, I'm thinking about my son and whether or not he would do that. And there's no way in the world. I think, I think that, um, you know, I guess there's my bias too. I would say, well, he's too sensible to do that kind of thing. But maybe he just doesn't have that itch, you know, that little desire to have that kind of adrenaline that push himself to the limit. Maybe he should have a little bit more of that. Maybe he'll he'd accomplish more in his life or something. Maybe I should get him to climb a train. This is a good idea. I'm you get up talk. there and you don't come down till you've thought That's about right. your life. That's right. If you think it's hard to go to college, <laughs> climb that train. I don't want to climb the train. Well, then go to college. <laughs> oh, man. Um, uh, how would, and again, we don't know her, but how would we take uh, uh, what we've seen of her and give her advice on, on what she might u- do for a career choice, other than, of course, repelling with firemen? Um, what, 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 uh, what, sort, what sort of vocation would this person go into? What does this person need to do? They obviously need something that's very high challenging. Yeah, I think so. She needs something that would offer some, some stimulation. Maybe she needs to clean windows. Those yeah, those people doing the window, a high rise window cleaning. <laughs> Good lord, like I can't imagine. That's her job. I think we should 
You should see if there's a company out there who would want to hire her. Well, that's what the fun. She, she might get all crazy. She might want to climb, clean the windows without. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. She's doing it in high heels. Yeah, she'd be a liability that way. Uh, well, that's what the firefighter said. He can't wait to have a conversation with her to find out how the heck she did it because maybe he can learn something from her. Right. I mean, properly oriented, she could be a great acrobat or something. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe Cirque du Soleil. Maybe right? that's that what we're looking great. at. All right, I can't let you go, Theo, without asking you, and I'm not sure if you've seen this. I don't mean to... to, to uh, you do this to me all I know, the time. I know, I know, I'm sorry. Blindsiding me. Uh, blindsiding you with YouTube video. This is the Pranking Parents. I believe it's called Family of Five. Uh, basically, this was a video, uh, and I guess lots of people do this sort of thing where they blog their lives and put it up uh, on YouTube channels and such. Uh, basically, this scenario was um, uh, young kids in the family. Uh, the parents uh, take... Uh, uh, removable ink. They scatter it all over the kid's room like it's a complete mess and they've you know, just demoed the room. And then all of a sudden the parents uh, start screaming, what the hell happened up here? And the kids all come out, I didn't do it, I did not get nothing. And they literally get to the point where the kids are, are crying in their beds. And then dad goes, ah, I'm just kidding, it's invisible ink or it's removable ink. And uh, so at the end, the, the kid's crying and said, dad, why do you do this to me? Like, it's, it's not fair. And, and the, the father reacted, I got to blog my life. Yeah. Yeah. So um, from a clinical perspective, speaking respectfully, as I've been trained to do, the father's an idiot. <laughs> you know, I mean, one of the crucial things that you need to do with your children is establish trust and um and uh, a relationship based on honesty and a sense of security in that relationship. And uh, manipulating and tricking kids like that for your own benefit and exploiting their reaction, how are you going to develop that kind of a relationship with them? What kind of, a, what kind of behavior does that model in a way that you, know, you can sort of use people for your own entertainment? Um, and that could happen at any particular time, so you don't really know when I'm being serious or not. You just can't really trust me. But, hey, it was really funny, and I got a lot of views. That's just ridiculous. You know, uh, my daughter showed me, my 14-year-old daughter showed me a video uh, that one that some kid does, you know, and he's very well primmed and, and, and prompt and stuff. He's got, he's got the nice hair. He's got his earrings on. He's got his shirt all done up. So he's ready to, he's styling for his big video. And he basically uh, feeds his friend, who's a girl, uh, X lax in her coffee and just you know films the the, the wacky antics that ensued. Wow. And then what happens is this girl obviously becomes violently ill. At one point right. she's in the washroom crying. She's in in so much pain, and he's filming it for videoing it from outside yeah. the door and la 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 la. And then of course uh, you know the fun ensues when he said he fills her uh, cup with X lax. Yeah. Uh, you know fun pranks. You know we're all into that. Don't want to sound like an old guy, but. As I tried to point out to my daughter, what's funny about putting somebody, especially your friend, through physical pain just to get a laugh or a video? Yeah, and I think you could make a pretty good argument that that's a form of assault and uh, should be taken seriously. And that's certainly how I would approach it. You know, there's one thing going up and, uh, you know, doing something to a buddy and a group of people. But where, where do we cross the line here? Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? What's more important, your relationship and the people that you're with or how popular you are and how many likes and views that you get? And when you cross that line, it becomes pretty clear that the people in your lives are more like objects as opposed to real uh, people that you have connections with and that you care for and that you have empathy for and that you want to have a long-standing relationship based on trust with. You've, you clearly cross the line into uh, people are things and um, they're there for my entertainment. 
Theo, keep trying to fix the world. Well, that's my job. (laughs) Theo Sellis, registered family therapist, president of Integrity Works. Thanks as always, Theo. Have a great weekend. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.